Welcome to a Heritage Christian Centre podcast. For more information, visit www.heritagecc.com.au. We hope this message blesses your life. Wonderful. So good to have you here. Great to have you. Great to see Jeremy and Hannah back from their honeymoon. Great to see you guys. Give them a welcome. It is so exciting. Hey, hey Musos, change your plans. We'll do that second song, the, the young adult song at the end, because that fits in with my message really well. Um, there's people online and people here, and, and you know there are people who can't be here because of physical conditions. Some are recovering from operations, others are, are not well. Some may have had a COVID test and not got the results yet, etc. And uh, we already know that journey from the staff perspective. People who got some all clears yesterday, and uh, it's good that they can be involved. And uh, it's not that there's been any problem, but you know they say get tested, so people get tested. And we're going to pray for those who are in that journey. Father, there's so many people that. Uh, watching from home online and one of the benefits we have is that they can do that now even when they're not well or when they're recovering from a surgery or an issue in life they when they've got health challenges ahead of them Lord, we believe you're a healer. We still believe you do miracles. You're a God of wonders. Lord, we believe that your, your work is done and, and Jesus did it on the cross and by his stripes we were healed. So let virtue flow into these people. Lord, a spirit, soul, body and mind health for your people in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. I um, With Shane Wellard here last weekend, we, we played a bit of golf because Shane's a golfer. And uh, that, that meant uh, I had to prepare a service for Tuesday for Childers, even though I didn't preach on Sunday. So it was a bit of like, hmm, what am I going to do? Uh, and there was an interesting encounter I had at one of these golf games. And we were playing at Bundy. And anyone who knows Bundy, the 16th hole, uh, is big dog leg. And, and you, we drove down to the corner where it turned right. And, and when we got there, uh, people were on the green. So we had to wait wait for them to move off. And it was interesting. It's, it was late in the afternoon. Uh, the sun was sort of low. It was starting to just dull a little bit in, in the light. And it was almost strangely but eerily quiet. The wind had dropped off and, and I became acutely aware of that stillness and that quietness. The silence was around me. In fact, I generally have a little bit of a ringing in the ears from uh, what I call tinnitus or tinnitus, whatever you want to call it. And, and I didn't even hear that. <laughs> it's just everything went really quiet. And Shane was looking at his phone, but I, I just sensed in that moment the presence of God. It was like a divine moment. I was uh, so grateful for everything God's done in my life and given me. And at that moment, I was with friends in a safe and beautiful place doing something I enjoy and to add to that I was conscious of the God of creation surrounding me and just before we were ready to play a little waft of breeze blew across me and from that moment just the thought of the presence of God just filled my heart just something different. It's, it's amazing how nature can do that to you at times. And, and I thought about Isaiah and Isaiah 30 verse 15. For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. And what's really sad is that verse ends with, but you would not. So here was an opportunity 
for the people to draw near and be aware of God's presence to find the the salvation and the confidence of their strength of their faith, but they would not. See, some people are afraid of those moments of quietness because it's then and there we have to face ourselves. And sometimes we don't like what we see. I'm sure if you're anything like me, there are moments uh, where in a stillness and a quietness and a moment of self-reflection, you see something and it's not particularly pretty. You see something about yourself where you know that you fall short. And that, that moment can be quite, quite hard to handle unless you see something bigger in the picture. See, a lump of clay is just a blob of dirt, but fashioned by the potter, it's become an exquisite piece of crockery and a functional tool as well. Now, while I agree with we need to live in the now, we can't fully focus on the now to the exception of the present or the past or the future. See, what I used to be is not what I am now. But what I am now is not yet what I'm going to be. So my now is set in a context of a process, a process of change by the power and presence of God. And if I see that in that moment, even if I see a little ugly, I have hope. In 2 Corinthians 3, it says this in verse 16 to 18. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Just as a side note, liberty comes when you turn to God, not when you run away or deny Him. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of our God. So the reality is we've been made in the image and likeness of God. That image has been damaged and tarnished. But you know, every day there's a process if we're submitted to God and the glory of that image is being restored piece by piece. So from glory to glory to glory. So where I am now is not where I was, nor is it where I'm going to be. And so it's about turning back to the Lord. When I look at Him, when I see Him, not just see Him in His fullness, but see how I'm being transformed in the mirror into His likeness. I thought of Psalms 46, verse 8 to 11. Come, behold the works of the Lord who has made the desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot with fire. Well, it sounds pretty noisy. Be still and know. Isn't it interesting? Here's this noise going on. Wars being made to cease. Breaking of bows, cutting of spears, chariots in fire. Be still. In the midst of it all, be still and know that I am God. And I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. He is our refuge. Think about this. So what we find and what I saw in this psalm was that we see God's works in the noise. He's in our everyday life, our circumstances, every joy and every sorrow. But we know him in the stillness. We know him in the stillness. 
But let me set another scene. And you would, many of you would know this. Elijah the prophet just won an amazing victory over the prophets of Baal. God called him to, to speak drought and then to speak rain. He's defeated them. He's got rain coming down, bringing relief to the nation. And the king tells his wife everything the prophet's done. And then she sends him a message saying, I'm going to kill you. And brave as he was, the prophet who just defeated all those prophets of Baal, who's just had the rain stop and the rain come. He said, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. And he runs. And Elijah has a whinge to God about it. He ends up in a cave. God, it's just me. There's nobody else. I may as well be in the garden eating worms or something. You know, everyone's gone. And God says, well, just, just, just calm down a little bit. There are thousands that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. He says, come on. Now, now in, right after this whinge, listen to this. In 1 Kings 19, 11 and 12. Then he said, this is God, go out and stand in the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small a voice. It's not that God isn't involved, isn't involved in all the noise, but we know Him in the stillness. And maybe we need to stop a little and a little more often to be still, to be silent and to listen for God. And instead of being afraid of the stillness and the silence, see it as a place where we might encounter God in a very real and tangible way. Someone sent me a, a comment and it, it was a, a link to a speech by a, 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 basically a rock and roller called Sting. Some of you would know him. And this is a speech he gave to Berkeley University and the whole speech is worth a good read. But listen to this portion. Paradoxically, I'm coming to believe in the importance of silence in music. The power of silence after a phrase of music, for example... Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. Many of you know. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 dun. How would it be? It would not be the same. There's something about silence or the space between the notes of Miles Davis' solo. There's something very specific about a rest in music. You take your foot off the pedal and pay attention. I'm wondering whether as musicians, the most important thing we do is merely provide a frame for silence. I'm wondering if silence itself is perhaps the mystery at the heart of music and is silence the most perfect music of all. Wow. Wow. I read that and I go, I wonder how far from the kingdom this man might be. I wonder if he's not touching on something of the truth because in the silence, we actually think more deeply. In the silence, we have those encounters. Think about Adam and Eve in the garden. They've just eaten the forbidden fruit. They realize they're naked. They've opened the door of sin into our world. And in Genesis 3.8, it says this, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. 
in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now I'm reminded of the golf day and, and just that stillness and then the, the waft of breeze. Maybe, maybe walking's probably not the best image. Maybe it's probably not the best word. Because if God is a spirit, I wonder if it wasn't the way the rustling in the leaves happened. I wonder if it wasn't that they heard this and they go, that's God, he's coming. I can hear the leaves rustling in the, the breeze or the wind of the spirit. I don't know, I'm just imagining it. Because uh, the word for spirit is ruah and it's the spirit of God, a breath. See, the idea of breath is completely integral to the human experience. We cannot live without taking a breath of life. God breathed into Adam. And life happened. No wonder we find songs like Great Are You, Lord, where we have, you know, God, your breath, it's your breath in my lungs. So we pour out our praise. The idea of the Holy Spirit or God being a breath or a wind gives us the meaning of that Hebrew word. It's in Numbers 27, 16, and Job 33, 4, and other verses that God is described as a breath, a wind, a life that sustains all things. And while it's attributed to humans, it more often just refers to the breath of life that inhabits humans, given to us by God. See, noise is what happens when you breathe out. But you can't make a lot of noise breathing in, unless, of course, you snore. But you breathe in. You breathe in. Breath comes in. And we choose how we let that breath out. Do we let it out in blessing or cursing? In harmony or melody? Or as Paul says, clanging and clashing, discordant, disharmonic noises? James says, you know, can blessing and cursing come out of the the same well? God forbid. The breath you breathe, it's not a compliment or a curse. It's the breath that you breathe. Bad breath is not what comes into you. It's what comes out because of what's already in you. So what comes out of our life with the breath that God gives us? As created beings, we choose what we do with every breath of life that God gives us. And for most of us, if we live to 80, that's about 850 million breaths you will have. And every one of them is important. Just ask an asthmatic. God designed us to breathe automatically. It's called an involuntary action, like the heart beating. Now, now in a moment, I'm going to do a test. And at home, you can do this too. I'm going to ask you, I do a one, two, three, go. And what I'm going to ask you to do is when I say go, I'm going to ask you not to breathe for 10 seconds. So now, obviously, if you've got a breathing condition, you can't do that, it's fine. But let, let's try this. Let's just see. So get ready. One, two, Three, go. I couldn't do it. (laughs) Now, I want to ask you a question. How many of you in preparation for that did this? 
When I asked you not to breathe, what was the thing you did? Disobedient lot. See, we know. Instinctively, we know. It's like little kids. I'm going to hold my breath. (gasps) Hang on. You're going to hold it. See, breath is not meant to be held. Breath is meant to be transformed. See, when you breathe in, you do it involuntarily. When you breathe out, you have a choice what you do with that breath. You might just breathe it out and it returns with a little less oxygen in it than it had when it came in. But by the way, there's enough oxygen still left in it to keep someone else alive. That's why we do CPR. So you really didn't need to breathe that out to get oxygen into your system because there was still a heap left in it. You could have survived a bit longer with what breath you already had, but you still had to breathe. See, God designed us to breathe. We breathe in. The only reason you breathe out is so you can breathe in again. You were designed primarily to firstly breathe in. Adam was a plump, just just a big chunk of clay. And it wasn't until breath went in that he had life. And then he had to breathe it out so he could get more life in. Then he had to breathe it out to get more life in. So when I breathe in, I get it freely. You know, you can go to prison anywhere and usually you can still breathe for free. Even when a kid holds his breath and turns blue, you know what's going to happen? If he holds it long enough, he will collapse and start breathing. Breath. I get it for free. Can I shape it into a poem, a song, a compliment, an encouraging word, an uplifting word? Or we do make it, do we make it accusing and derogatory, demeaning and criticizing? It's still the breath you were given, but what are you doing with it? What are you creating with the breath that the God who loves you has given you freely? Proverbs tells me, and it starts like this, death and life. Not life and death. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. I'd paraphrase it and say this, what you create with the breath God gives you for free is important. Breath in the Old Testament, Ruah, in New Testament, Pneuma, we get pneumatic from. It's, it's the same breath. It means this breath of life. Given, not just to humans, angels, demons, every human. Nothing exists without breath, the breath of God. It's given to us. It makes inanimate or non-living, living, animate. We can't command stones to live, but God commanded dirt to live when he breathed into it. God is a giver. Every breath you have is a gift from God. You are responsible for that breath. Will it return just as another breath out? Or will it be creative? Will it be something that builds up people? Will it be something that stirs up a desire for the presence of God? Will it be a response of praise to the one who gave it to you? Remember, God is a giver. 850 million breaths just to start with, you have mostly. God doesn't need anything to exist. He is self-existent. As Jesus said simply and concisely, before Abraham was, I am. And because God exists and gives us breath, 
we exist. Without him, nothing exists. He doesn't need us. We need him. We need his breath in our life. We should remind ourselves every time we breathe that this is a gift that God has given us. We should remind ourselves to be thankful. That which we cannot see is giving power to our lives, enables us to move. And if we remember the Creator gives it to us, then we are more likely to be moved in the right direction, to live for Him with every breath I take and every move I make. I want to glorify Him. I want to serve Him with this breath. It's interesting how, how people's perception of God, the image of God just shapes their life. See, if, they've got a, if they don't believe in God, breath is just something that happens. But if you realize God is a giver and he gives you breath, your attitude is, God, I'm so thankful. God, I'm so grateful. The people of, of Israel, when they came out of the promised land out in Exodus 32, oh, by the way, just, just as a side note, um, the two tablets that Moses brought down from the mountain mm, probably didn't have only 10 commandments on them. Probably had two and a half chapters of writing on them. Probably. See, we see you know, Charlton Heston you know, with a big white beard just blowing in the breeze. We see 10 commandments. No, no, no. Two tablets of a whole bunch of commands. Anyway, Moses delayed coming down from the mountains. It doesn't take that long to write 10 commandments. He's up there for a long time, 40 days, I think. And while he's up there, the people get a little bit discouraged, sidetracked, a little disillusioned, and they come to Aaron and say, make us, make us a God. And so Aaron got the golden earrings and, and, and fashioned them, melted them down, fashioned them into a calf. And he said, this is your God, Israel. And then he said to the people, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord, Yahweh. So, so here is a fashioned calf, and Aaron is calling this calf Yahweh. Now, I'll tell you one thing about that golden calf. It had no breath. It had no breath. Every formed idol like that has no breath. Every human idol we have in our life only has breath as a gift of God. They're not self-existent. Any idol outside of God is not, has not got its own breath, does not exist without breath from God. And a molded implement, wood, stone, whatever, it's, it's not Yahweh. Had a right name but a wrong image. God is a self-existent one. Now, please, don't get me wrong. It's not that noise is wrong. We sing songs. But I think like Prince says, the song is just to put a frame around a moment for silence. There's a song we sing, let us become aware of your presence. The silence of the moment. And the songs just provide a framework for us to at times be still. And know that he is God. Your image of God will determine that. It will determine wh whether you see God as a giver or a taker. It'll determine whether the breath you breathe in is just irresponsibly used or whether, hang on, this is a gift from God. And because God is a creator and he made me creative, the words I speak are death and life. I want to create life with the breath that flows out. I don't want bad spiritual breath. 
I want words that flow to be sweet, even in correction. I want them to be loving, even in discipline. I, I want them to stir up love one to another. I want them to encourage others in their walk of faith. And those moments of silence when we realise things about God and ourselves, they can be a grieving process of cleansing. They can be a joyful engagement with the Divine One who wants us to know Him and therefore to know love. In the past, I've heard people at times criticise young people, some of their music and songs. And yes, they, they have their times with mosh pits or whatever, which are illegal at the moment. But they jump, they carry on. Sometimes it, it, they even fool around. But then the music fades a little bit. And the words are stripped away, as the song says. And I see some with their hands raised and tears running down their face in the quietness. There might be still some music happening. But in the stillness of the moment, they're contemplating the goodness of God toward them. They're thinking about His love that's reaching them in those moments. What an amazing God we have who gives us breath. Your image of God will either encourage or discourage you. It will resist or insist that you abide in His presence. Is His kindness and mercy and grace enough to draw us to intimacy? Or is there a fear and a terror that pushes us away? Is His goodness that draws us to repentance and His forgiveness that comes because of repentance, does it flow and draw us into His presence? Come boldly, it says, to the throne of grace. Our image of God is paramount. He is the breath giver, the life giver. Is our image of God big enough, kind enough, gracious enough that we would be thankful? Is our image of God real, true love in its fullness? I want to take a moment that we might stand and sing this song again and, and when we come to that bit toward the end when no, no, no let's just not have anything let's just have the music quiet and let's breathe a little and just breathe quietly and maybe even quietly to yourself just say God I'm thankful for every breath you've given me would you stand with me